Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Wine Therapy. It's me, Chris Evans. My co-host, Nancy, is here with us hello. too. Hello, hello, hello. It's been a while since our last episode. But we are back with what I think will be our best episode yet. Today we are talking about scams. It's all about scams. I know a lot of you out there have been scammed. And maybe some of you are the motherfucking scammers. <laughs> and if but you are, unfollow or just <laughs> forward some of that money to us. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about some really interesting scam artists. Some big, some small. And then we're going to talk about some ways that you can spot a scam so that you don't get scammed. So first off, of course, we have to start with making sure we've got our wine ready. So I've got my red wine. I can't find my glass that I have that you can pour the whole bottle in. So I'm just using this stainless steel goblet that I found. Ooh, how Game of Thrones of you. Before yeah, the final season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I actually did buy these once I started watching Game of Thrones. But before but the I, final season. <laughs> but I need to get one of those big, fancy, like, Cersei goblets. Yes. Opens Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so, the first one we're going to talk about today is probably the biggest profile one. So there's a movie that was made based on this story. The movie is called Bad Education. It's an HBO original, actually. It stars Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney. There's a bunch of other good actors in it. Ray Romano is in it. Yep. A bunch of other people. Oh, Annalie Ashford, I think, is in it as well. She plays Allison Janney's niece or maybe a daughter-in-law or something. But essentially, the movie is about... It starts off with you thinking that Alice and Janney's character is... The movie's about her being the villain of the story. Essentially, they are... They work at the school board, and it's this school... It's this county in Long Island that is apparently one of the best at the time. Do you remember when this took... Take, took where, where, when this took place, Nancy? Is it in the 90s? or? Girl, are you having a stroke over there? <laughs> Do you smell toast? I thought it was like 2004. I can goggle it real quick, but I okay. thought it was later than that. Okay, yeah. Well, it was, it, but it was some time ago. And the at this time, this school was like one of the best schools, I guess, in New York and maybe even in the country as far as quality of education. And of course... As many of the quality of schools, the public schools, tends to be tied to the value of the real estate because people always want to buy houses in an area where their kids are going to be able to go to a good school for free. So it was like the pride of this county that they had such a good, good school system. And so Hugh Jackman, I think, is like the superintendent or something. And I don't know what exactly Alice and Janney's role was, but she was someone that worked under him, but with him. Like she, whatever her position was, they were both kind of high up. And so 
essentially you come to realize very quickly in the movie that Alice and Janney is stealing money from the school district. And she's doing it by sort of back charging these different personal charges. So essentially what she's doing is creating invoices for supposedly school business, but in reality, the money is going into her personal pocket. And so you see her have this like lavish pool party at her house and they live this fancy lifestyle. And you're kind of like, how does somebody who works at, how does a public servant who works at the school board get all this money? Where's all this money coming from? Even um, if it is Long Island, you're still wondering <laughs> how are right. they getting all this money. Yeah. So Wikipedia said it's 2002 that it takes place. Okay. That's when all of this occurred. Yeah. So essentially the big kind of turning point for the plot in this movie is, well, one of them is when Alice and Jenny's son, who owns a construction company, he goes to the Ace Hardware or whatever the hell he went for supplies. And it was, he was using the school's, like he was using Allison Gianni's like school work credit card for expenses that were supposed to be for the school, but he was using them for construction materials, I think to do a renovation on their house. And yeah, to do upgrades. Yeah. And he was stupid enough yeah, I think he was having small talk with the cashier and told them that it was a pro he told them the truth that it was a project for his family's upgrading their house, which they obviously thought was strange when he handed them the credit card and it was her school card. So yeah, because they were like treating him like a VIP customer because of the amount of money he just dropped in there. So they were just questioning him on, well, what are you getting up to? What's the upgrade? And he was like oh yeah, just doing some stuff at like my mom's house. And they were like, uh. <laughs> so clearly her son is not the brightest crayon in the box, but that is what sort of triggered everything coming down like a house of cards because simultaneously there's a sort of a subplot with this girl who's, I think, I don't know if she's a middle school student or a high school student. But she's she a junior. She's about to be a senior. <laughs> right. Yeah. So she's doing, I think she's working for the school paper and they want her to be doing fluff pieces about like spirit week and shit. And instead she decides to do an article on Hugh Jackman's character, or actually it wasn't really about Hugh Jackman's character. It was, I think it was just generally about how things worked at the school. It was school. for the skywalk. Oh, that's right. They yes, were building right. the massive skywalk and it was it was a fluff article that she was doing, but she went to Hugh Jackman and was like, yeah, this is what they have me writing. And he kind of unknowingly lit the fuse to be like, well, it's only a puff piece if you treat it that way. Really dig and see what else you can get. So then she starts snooping around and going through stuff and talks to Allison Janey and is like, hey, I have a couple questions. And she's, okay, I'll give you one quote and then you can leave because this is a waste of my time. You want to know how many bids we got from contractors? Mm-hmm. For the Skywalk construction, you explored several options, right? I think we had four or five. Okay. From which firms, exactly? H hang on a sec. What's this article you're supposed to be writing? Oh, it's a piece on the Skywalk. 
And the student paper wanted a deep dive into construction specs. They're giving me free reign, more or less. I guess I'm just looking for an interesting way in. Oh, okay, Ruth. Rachel, so let me give you a great angle for your story. Okay. You want to write this down, or are you... Uh... I'm taping. Oh. Okay. The Skywalk is a great project. It'll be the first Skywalk on all of Long Island, and yet one more reason, Roslyn schools put Jericho and Sayaset to shame, and it'll look great and make all our lives easier. Thank you, the end, good night, and good luck. What else can I help you with? Do you have the bids handy, or are they not on you? No, they're not on me. They're locked in the basement, lost in the annals of history. Well, I have next period free. Do you? Mm-hmm. All right. Good luck finding him. I think she starts saying, well, why are you guys spending all of this money on this Skywalk when, you know, we should be spending it on books or whatever the hell? Basically, she starts questioning why they were being so irresponsible with the spending as to put so much money into something that is just for aesthetics, basically. Well, and, and they have shots in there, too, of how... There's a major leak in the middle of the office, like near a printer and an electrical socket where, oh, yeah, the school's just falling apart. And so that's what makes her pull the thread of if they have all this money being siphoned into the school to do the skywalk, like, wh why is everything else in such disrepair? Right. What I recall is I think they were, the skywalk was kind of being used as a cover for all of these personal expenses so yeah. they were invoicing things that were they were saying were for the the skywalk that really had nothing to do with it but because it was obviously a big item that was going to be expensive no one was questioning why there was all of these invoices that were that were related to the skywalk but this student doing the article she is the one who eventually breaks the story that not only is Allison Janney a scammer who's been stealing millions from the school district for her multiple homes, her yacht, her this, her that, but also Hugh Jackman's character, who you're led to believe is like the hero of the story, he ultimately is also stealing money from the school. And... There's a lot of other stuff that's coming out as well about his character. It's an excellent movie, and, and Hugh Jackman is amazing in the role. But and I could watch Alice and Janie do anything. I don't care what it is. I think she's so incredible. The plot line that cracked me the fuck up was how Allison had the... I think it was her niece, because I feel like I remember her calling her aunt or something. But it, the Anna Lee Ashford's character, who... She has some bullshit job in the office, some low-level assistant or receptionist or something. And I think she asked Alice and Janney's character for some money for something related to, like, her wedding or her... There was something Wasn't coming up. was a PlayStation for her boyfriend? Oh, yes. It was... She wanted the PlayStation for their kids or something for Christmas. That or was an Xbox, up. whatever yeah. shit's trendy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, whatever was trendy in 2002. But, and she didn't have the money. And so Allison Janney tells her, I think she told her to just put it on her 
corporate card, her school business card, which of course she was like, huh? That's weird, but she wanted the PlayStation, I guess, so she just went along with it. And Allison told her, we'll figure it out later with an invoice or whatever the hell. So essentially, once it comes out that Allison Janney's character has been stealing, all of the school board people come into the office for this very dramatic meeting with Hugh Jackman. And they're like, what are we going to do? Do we out her? Do we call the police? Do we, What do we do? Call the mayor, whatever. And... He's, look, this is going to be a huge scandal and it's, they're going to, we're trying to get our budget through for the next semester and they're going to completely not give us the money we're looking for. And then our whole county and the entire reputation we have will skydive and then so will all of our property values and blah, blah, blah. So basically, and he talks they, about how the seniors won't be able to get into the good colleges anymore because they're going to have <laughs> such a tarnish on this high school. Right, right. I think at that time, they still weren't even sure exactly how much money she had stolen. I think, yeah. at, the, I think at the time, they thought it was just a couple hundred thousand dollars or like 500000 or something. And so they were like, we can find a way to just sweep this under the rug and keep it pushing and find another excuse to get rid of her. And so <laughs> Annalie Ashford's character, the niece to Allison Janney, she basically goes to... <laughs> Hugh Jackman and tries to blackmail him into giving her a promotion or a raise or something like that. She says, well, I know a lot of things about what's going on and I can tell people what, you know, what my aunt was doing and blah, blah, blah. And then he <laughs> brings out the fucking receipts of her, of all her shopping trips to Bed Bath & Beyond and all this other shit and leaves her with her face cracked. And she's oh, okay, guess I'll just Bye. go... <laughs> guess I'll just go back to this data entry that I was doing before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really good movie and it's, but it's just, when you look at the extent of the scam, you're just like, how do people get away with this? The movie really only shows, I think, the two of them as having been the ones that were stealing money, if I recall. But I looked up a New York Post article that was talking about, it was about the son and how his involvement with the construction thing kind of blew the whistle. And it said that there were dozens of people in the school district that were implicated. So <laughs> I guess like the movie just didn't have enough running time for that. But there, there were, it was apparently like a widespread scheme. They only um, had enough budget for Hugh Jackman and Allison <laughs> Janney. They, yeah. they couldn't get any more heavy hitters in there, yeah. so had to <laughs> just parse that. it down. Yeah. But I don't want to give away everything that you learn in the movie because it, then it's it just kind of takes the fun out of it. But there's so many twists and turns and shit that comes up that you're just like, it. if it weren't, if you didn't know that it was based on a true story, you wouldn't have believed that it could be real. And my thing is how, well, first of all, I just think it's incredible that some high schooler in a student newspaper was the one who went investigating and found out all this shit. Where, yeah. are, the, where are the actual journalists in Long Island? Like, are y'all sleeping? Are you hibernating? Like, what's going on that you missed this? Come on, it's beach day. I guess maybe because the school district was just doing so well. They were just like, well, I feel like the way that Alice and Janie comes off in that movie, it seems like if anyone legit was around, I'm sure she would stonewall the shit out of them. I think she thought, here's this harmless little girl who's 
15, 16. Yeah, here's a key to go look through the files in the basement like you're going to find anything, idiot. So I think that she just had such low expectations of the damage this girl could inflict when she starts digging. I think you're right. The fact that she was a student just doing a fluff piece, I think it was that's what disarmed her to be like, she's not going to find anything. Anyway, it, the guy that this is based on, I assume he must have gone to prison. We don't um, want to give it away for all the kids out there. The idea that people can steal this amount of money and that no one's monitoring. They have, there's a character who I think is their accountant. Hugh Jackman keeps him from blowing the whistle and everything. Is The, the accountant comes to him and says, Okay, I'm running the numbers, and it's way more money that she stole than we thought. It's 500000 here, 500000 there. I haven't even begun to start completely digging. We need to go to the authorities about this. And Hugh Jackman's like, well, you're the one who should have caught this. So if we go public with it, you're really going to be the one that's going to have to take the fall because it's your job to find these inconsistencies in the financials and blah, blah, blah. And he really is. He, the, he, and part of it is it's just the perfect casting of Hugh Jackman, who's just a naturally charming and charismatic person. But you really buy into it at the beginning of the movie that he's this well-to-do guy who just sees maybe cutting a few corners here and there as the means to an end. But you really start to notice how sinister and, and manipulative he is once you start to get more into it. And it's, it's kind of unnerving to watch. Yeah. So that movie's called Bad Education. If you look it up, I think the guy's name is Frank Abagnale. I'm sorry, no. no the Frank Abagnale is the guy who Catch Me If You Can is based off of. Like, <laughs> a completely different scammer. Get your goddamn um, scammer straight. No, it was the, the Roslyn School District in Nassau County. And Alice and Janney's character's name was Pamela Gluckin. Glucken. And Frank Tassoni. You don't get more Long Island and more Italian than Frank Tassoni. So watch the movie. It's really good. It's on HBO. And there's so many more details out there that are not included in the movie. Because naturally, once you watch this sort of thing, you immediately want to go Googling to see where all these people are, what they've been up to, and what ended up happening. So I did that, and there's all these articles that give you way more details and information, all the tea about just everyone buzzfeed um, shares the top 15 things not included in bad education yes i think that's what i read too a month ago i was at the old st pat's in chicago and the usher says where are you from i said dixon he goes oh you're the town that the woman stole the 54 million from. It is the biggest case of municipal fraud in history. The tiny town of Dixon, Illinois, lost an astonishing $53 million to one government employee. If fraud at this magnitude is happening in Dixon, it can happen anywhere. Federal agents and local police carry out police for half a decade. Nine top officials accused of taking $150 million. Fraud is a local, national, and international problem. 
Over the past five years, we've seen a steady rise in fraud schemes, specifically embezzlement schemes committed by an employee within a finance position. Allegedly embezzling thousands of dollars from $4 million. Embezzlement is a $3.7 trillion problem. Government entities are the second most frequent victims of embezzlement. A nationally renowned horse breeder, city employee since the 1980s, and a world-class thief. So, moving on to a different scam, but still keeping in the same vein of things, there's another, this one's not a narrative film, it's a documentary called All the Queen's Horses, and the woman who directed the movie is actually a black woman filmmaker, so find the movie and watch it and support her. Her name's Kelly Richmond Pope. I watched the movie on Netflix, but this was like a couple of years ago. I'm not sure where you found it, Nancy. Did you, do you remember? Uh, you did just Actually, say to support whole... her and I totally watched it on YouTube. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now I feel like a dick. I guess I'll go rent yeah, it just... tonight to make up for it. Sorry, girl. Well, actually, I think it's like sanctioned by the distributor that it's on YouTube. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah. So I was totally supporting her when I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I think the distributor themselves put it up here. Like it has ads um, throughout it that you can't skip, but to watch it for free, I'll yeah, I'll sit through that. That's fine. So this was a woman who her name's Rita Crundwell, and these names. Do you... Gluckin <laughs> Rita Crundwell. Crundwell. Jesus, some what is it? Fantastic Beasts bullshit we got going on in here. <laughs> I can't with this. Galuckin. Like fucking Dolores Umbridge. Bitch, I can't. I'll see y'all at Diagon Alley. These bitches going to Azkaban. (laughs) They hit up Gringotts hard, honey. They going down. (laughs) But do you remember where the town was? Or at least what state it was in? It's in Illinois. Okay, right. It's like a small town in Illinois... It's she the was birthplace the of Ronald Reagan. They said that about 45 oh, times. Lovely. So I'm sure it's a fabulous place. Um, Very modern. The <laughs> So this woman was the comptroller of the city. And I think the population of the town is like 16,000 or something. Like it, it's not a very big place. And I don't know how many, over the course of how many years it was, but over 20 oh my god jesus christ so over 20 years of her being the comptroller of this city she stole more than 53 million dollars from this city in illinois 53 fucking million if i'm not mistaken i think it it is the biggest government embezzlement like Ever. I don't think there's any other case of someone embezzling money from a city or something that was bigger than this. You know what my favorite um, part about that is, though? That her bail was $4,500. <laughs> she stole $53 million and her bail was $4,500. Right. So I guess the, the way she was doing her scam was similar to the one in Bad Education where... She basically, now here's what I find really bizarre is that it's a small enough town that 
people know her. Like, people know her at the bank. People, everybody knows each other. And they know that she's the comptroller and everything else. And she created a personal account at her bank that was named... I forget what exactly it was named. It was a but shell the account name with of an it. acronym that was supposed to stand for like septic services and like water treatment. I forget exactly what the acronym was, but it was something that was supposed to be legit. But that acronym purely just meant that it was completely her personal account. So she would right. just shuffle money out of the legit accounts into that one. And then when the money would leave she would say oh well we just had to pay for this fixing this road or this sidewalk down on main street or we had to pay for that and it was all just going straight into her personal account right so essentially these this account that she created was supposed to be the city was paying for services so they were paying someone to fix the sewage or to fix the road or this or that and it, it looked legit on paper because of what she named the account when she would invoice the city and send the payments into this account. So because of that, I guess the bank never flagged it as something unusual. Well, the bank and the auditors neither flagged it as being strange. But I don't understand when you're talking about $53 million. Now, I know that was over the course of two decades. But how does no one notice once the money's in that acronym account that she created, no one's looking at what's happening to it after that? When I say no one, the bank. Go ahead. Well, so they said on there that the bookkeeping was so complex and intricate that if anyone ever had a question about, did you see this charge that went to this or this money that just moved to that? Literally, she made it so she was the only one who understood it. So she would have to explain to anyone else what those charges were. So it would it read like gibberish to everyone else. So she was able right. to cover her own tracks until but, she did. Well, I get <laughs> that. <laughs> I get that part, but I'm talking about once the money actually is has left the city, and it's now in this account that's actually hers. She has somehow she has to then. I don't know if she was spending money directly out of that account or she was doing transfers from that into another personal account or what, but how does no one at the bank question, where's the payroll for this company that's making millions from their work for the city? Where's their business expenses? Where I just don't get how someone at the bank wouldn't have seen that something was odd about the transactions of this particular account once she was actually able to access the money and start spending it on herself. That's not really their job. No, They're not there. The bank isn't there to validate that these charges are all not suspicious and legit. If that money is there, they're going to move it. And under the guise of it being local government, even if it looks weird, maybe we just don't understand it. All this has taught me, these documentaries, I'm just terrified of people that do the bookkeeping and are good at math. Because they're going to rob me blind. Right. That, that's a good point. The intricacy of some of this stuff, it's once you give people access, you don't know what they could be doing with it. And it's so, some of it is so complicated that they're going to be the only ones understanding what they're doing. But they even brought it up so, in the documentary that out of that shell account that she made, that she was using for personal use, that someone should have seen that it was weird that they were paying out these large lump sums to these different, like, 
horsing associations that why would it be coming out of a city account? And all this made me think of was, I'm sorry, horse girls are fucking weird. There was always one in my class in elementary school and middle school. There was always one girl that's obsessed with horses and she was fucking weird. So yeah, this solidified scared of people that are good at math, scared of people that are obsessed with horses. But here's the other thing. So her salary as a city comptroller was $80,000. So it says on average, she stole two and a half million dollars per year from the city. In 2008 alone, she embezzled $5.8 million. To give you a reference, the annual budget of the city was between eight to nine million. Three years in a row, starting with 2008, because hello, recession, that's when she thought she could cover herself more because, oh, of course they're going to have to cut budget. There's a recession going on. So literally 2008, 2009, 2010, she took more than $5 million each of those years. The balls on this lady. But what kills me is, so she's got all of this money that she's stolen, and she's basically spending it on... Fucking fucking horses and stables and saddles and shit. Ugh. Well, she's got several... She bought several cars. She had her own house and a second house. A multi-million dollar motorhome, which I didn't even know that fucking existed. Like, how could... What motorhome could possibly be (laughs) good enough that it's worth millions of dollars? But apparently it was. It's just a motorhome with millions of dollars sitting in it instead of the bank. It's, you can't upgrade it that much. The, the, the money's in it. That's what made it. As Nancy said, one of the biggest things that she was spending it on was this horsing stable that she had. Some people thought that she had the money from family wealth, and other people thought maybe it's coming from the money she's making from her little horse business. But I don't see how you don't start asking questions when you're talking about A city employee making $80,000 before taxes, and she's living like she's fucking Kim Kardashian in some small town in Illinois. I felt like Garcelle when she went to dinner with Sutton. So how'd you get your money? money? (laughs) But remember, that's rude to ask. That's uncouth. God, boo, snore, change the channel. But how does no one say, girl, huh? (laughs) Where are you getting all these coins? Fucking horse people, dude telling you and here's the thing during the time that she was embezzling the 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 city was constantly broke Mm -hmm. like it's not like this was some it's not like you're stealing money from you know this city of chicago or something where you're talking about billions of dollars in tourism and and stuff yeah but this is a town where every cent matters because they're so small Mm -hmm. and so they had to lay off street repair workers cut the maintenance to the streets that were falling apart there were 65 blocks of road that needed to be repaired and replaced just all of this stuff and while that was happening the money was going into her pocket so that's what i don't get you would think the fact that they're so broke would be enough for them to be like, let's start asking some questions here. Yeah. Essentially what happened is she went out of town on some vacation. And while she was out, I think the woman who worked underneath her had to take over the accounting 
happened. So it was that she was the one that would submit all the invoices every month. And then she had her city clerk who would compile everything after she gave it to her and send it out. And she would remind her all the time, like, only send the invoices that they're asking for, blah, 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 blah. And then homegirl was out of the office on vacation and the city clerk was like overwhelmed with other stuff that she had going on. So she sent literally all the invoices and including all the like shady weird ones for horsing shit and home upgrades and all this stuff. So it was just all these invoices that made no sense. And she, after she saw that, she was like, these numbers aren't really making sense. I don't know what that would be for. And then she went right to the mayor with it while the chick was still out of town. Then what they ended up doing was they went to the, the FBI, but they didn't like arrest her immediately. They, they had to go back to work and pretending like everything was normal so that they could spend six months building the case against her and, and understanding how her little scheme operation worked and, and watch it. I, I think at that time, the clerk person was like paying closer attention to the invoices and everything. They were just, in a way, working undercover for the FBI to help get evidence to bring her down. Mm -hmm. So eventually they did. They gathered all the evidence. They just one day showed up and arrested her ass. And they charged her with wire fraud and all other kinds of shit. And mind you, these are federal charges. This is not some like local state shit. This is the FBI, the federal government charging her. Yeah, you're not going to get and... community service cleaning out the stables for this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I think with all the charges that they put on her, they had enough to basically send her to prison for life, essentially, <laughs> with the amount of charges they had. And so... She pled guilty. I think they, they reduced the charges to just one charge of wire fraud in exchange for her pleading guilty. And she had to forfeit all of her assets. But at that point, she had spent most of the money. So there wasn't that much the city could recover from what she took. Well, they took her um, whole population of horses to auction them all off. And some of those horses were going for six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars Holy shit. Yeah. Because they were like, I don't know shit about horses, but apparently these were top of the line, pure bred, whatever, very impressive horses. <laughs> so they auctioned all of that off immediately um, because the upkeep apparently, which this is, again, not a fucking horse girl, so I didn't know this, but apparently the upkeep between stabling them, feeding them, doing everything is thousands of dollars a month. So that was one of the first things that they seized and started to auction. And one of the charges she had done in that shell account was a $6,000 custom-made saddle. She just had crazy stuff, so they just auctioned all of it off. That's what I never understand in these cases. It's obviously embezzling is wrong, and I would never do it. But if I did, because part of what fascinates me about true crime is some people are all into the gore and the murder and the grisly details of people getting killed. I'm fascinated by the mindset. I'm fascinated by the criminal mindset and what would make an otherwise normal everyday person commit a very serious crime. Yeah. And so I'm trying to, when I try to put myself in the mind of an embezzler, I don't understand. If I were going to embezzle, I would just be like, okay, let me get enough 
just to like pay my house off and pay my kids college education maybe and have a little nest egg for retirement and then keep it pushing. And had she done that, she would have never been caught. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's the, think about when you're in Las Vegas and you go up to the blackjack tables and you play that first hand and you win. Boom, here's $100 that you just won. And you realize how easy it is. So you're like, well... Let me let it ride. Let me do it again. Let me see if I can get away with it again. I understand embezzling and gambling are different, but it's. I think it truly is with these embezzlers. They realize how much money they got, how easily, how few questions were asked, how many people didn't notice. Mm, and then I think that just lights a massive fire of greed where it's no longer I just need this much. It's I want it all. I need everything. I think they just get overcome. Yeah, I guess. But for me, it's even when I go to, to gamble, like I'll, when we've gone to Vegas, I've been like, okay, this is the amount of money. I'm taking out $300 for the whole weekend. And once this money's gone, I'm done. Like I'm not. And well, if I hello, win, Captain you know, self-control. <laughs> but, and, and, but I have to do that because I'm not independently wealthy. I don't just have an endless supply of funds coming in. So it's more like a self-preservation of you come away from gambling, which is a fun, it's a fun activity to do. Maybe for you. But it's certainly. <laughs> My ass always loses. <laughs> she sits down at the fucking slot machine, puts in like $10 and immediately loses it all. The fucking penny like, slots. Fuck. And meanwhile, I look over and you're up like $38. And I'm like, how? I don't. Oh, God, such bullshit. But you know what? Maybe that's part of my control mechanism is, is watching me I'm fail so, so vividly in 3d <laughs> i'm gambling with you and so i'm like oh great i just won 30 dollars, and then you lose all your money i'm like wait let me just stop while i'm ahead because i don't want to turn up like this bitch and then i'm like where are we going to dinner tonight because i have a dollar 48 left that'll get me a mcdouble i guess it's like if you compare it to like a serial rapist or a serial murderer there's a certain because they're not going home with anything tangible, That just that they've committed an, an act. And so for them, there's a certain high they get out of the, I guess, it, whether it's a sadistic thing or it's a, they like the danger of it, the fear of getting caught, but then this gratification of getting away with it. And how usually they increase the risk of their crimes as they go on, because doing it again in such an easy way isn't enough. But of I a high like for them anymore. Of... Maybe that's how the same thing is. It's like not necessarily about just greed, although I'm sure that's part of it. But it's also she's clearly there's clearly something psychologically that she's addicted to as far as the knowing that she's getting away with something right in plain view. When was she caught? In 2012, I think. Yeah. Yeah. April 2012, she was caught, and the. I'm trying to see what the year was that she embezzled the most. Oh, it, yeah. In 2008 alone, she embezzled $5.8 And I don't know exactly what the numbers are in all the years that followed, but it, it seems like there was certainly a, a succession of, as the years went on, she did more and more. Because the, the very first one she ever did was, gosh, it went back so far. This says 1991, she stole 181000 The... Part of the bigger story of this um, documentary was, number one, the fact that they actually did employ 
a third-party auditor who was responsible for counting this sort of thing, and they didn't. And there, like a, a large part of the documentary is dedicated to talking about this, but I don't really remember what the reason was for why they didn't catch it. Because they're shitty at their jobs. It was literally one of the guys like, from that auditing firm that was doing her taxes and found one year $300,000 worth of funds that he couldn't account for. Wait, so the same firm was doing her personal taxes? Yep. Oh my God. You know what, though? I can tell you, out of all the money that she embezzled and all the shit that she stole, we know one thing. She didn't spend it on face cream. God damn. Some of the angles of pictures they had of her, I was like, oh, baby, them wrinkles or some She's a horse does. girl, okay? Fucking horse girls, man. What did you What did you expect from a horse girl? I, don't they wear the hat? Isn't that part of it? Did the, the equestrian hat? No, a cowgirl hat or some shit. Isn't that what the cowgirl Barbie oh. wore? The one that came with the stepping horse? <laughs> I don't see. I never had a cowgirl Barbie. I don't fuck with any of that. I can't. I just can't. But so the they tried to recover as much funds as possible from her when they when they seized all her assets. I don't know exactly how much they were able to recover. Like Nancy was saying, she had, I think, 300 horses, and some of them are worth a lot of money. But a lot of the money she spent over the years was like, I think she'd even like given her family members money that they bought like houses with and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to say is they, so they were able to get as much money as they could from her assets, whatever the number was, I'm not sure. But they also sued the third party accounting firm that was supposed to have caught this. And I think they won a $40 million settlement. So they did between her assets and between what they got from the accounting company recover most of the money that was stolen from them. But on top of the federal charges, which were enough to send her to prison for life, they also brought charges against her on the state level. (laughs) So... In for a penny, um, in for a pound. I think ultimately they, in the event that she was acquitted of the federal charges, they wanted to be prepared to be able to charge her on the state level. But then once she was convicted, they dropped the charges because they were like, we don't want to waste the state's time going through a trial on the state level as well. When I think the law is that the sentences are meant to be served concurrently. So it wouldn't have added any more jail time to her anyway, but... They were waiting in the wings, child, ready to file those state charges if her ass got off. With their pitchforks and torches. I kind of thought that she might get away with it. Yeah. I just kind of thought, well, she's a white lady and everybody in the town likes her. So I kind of just thought maybe she'd get off without any jail time. But clearly she didn't. That swift hammer of justice. has got everything. Revenge. Drugs. Greed. Ronald McDonald. Somebody went to the FBI and said, guess what's happening? The McDonald's Monopoly game was fixed. The Bureau thought it was just some BS story. Fast food fraud was not making any list of priorities. Are you kidding me? This is what makes my fun meter go. 
McDonald's Monopoly game gave millions of people a chance to win. But from 1989 to 2001, there were almost no legitimate million dollar winners. The FBI told us the game pieces are being stolen. McDonald's was shocked. Conversations on the wiretap were coming in. I'm hearing the name Uncle Jerry thrown around on the phone. We started focusing more on trying to figure out who he was. He's a freaking gangster. Uncle Jerry was getting the tickets and selling them to other people. This is a million dollar winning ticket, and he's got it in a Ziploc sandwich bag that's not even zip. Somebody offers you a million dollars, you're going to take it. <laughs> Unless you got to kill somebody, then you might not, you know, you might not be interested. But... We had eight original individuals, which turned into 53. The vast majority of these winners, they're good people. One of my biggest regrets being involved in this McDonald's thing. Yeah. I just wanted a better life, and I feel like this couldn't come to me if it wasn't meant for me. I've lost everything. This thing wrecked so many people's lives. How much bigger can this get? And it would get bigger. How much further back could it go? And it would go back further. But things go wrong. They always do. You can get away with something over and over. You only got to be caught once. I watched The Founder uh, the other day, which I really loved. I love Michael Keaton and B.J. Novak. And it popped up in my suggestions after I watched The Founder of, have you watched McMillions? And it's a six-part uh, miniseries on HBO. And it just goes over the entire scam that these people, they got what was it over 25 million dollars they got out of mcdonald's so back in i believe it started in the 90s uh mcdonald's started running the promotional campaign of we're gonna have the monopoly game and different food items that you buy are gonna have these two peel away stickers and each sticker is one of the pieces on the mcdonald's board so you can pull back boardwalk and park place and oh my god you've instantly won a million dollars or here's illinois avenue or i got these two railroads so i just won a dodge viper and it was a really massive campaign for mcdonald's for a very long time and it turns out all the shit was fixed it was rigged by one guy who was in charge of just doling out all of the different winning pieces to friends and family. And it went on for however many years before anyone realized, oh shit, like all these people are connected. So I'm still shook. I just finished it last night. I like put it on. Yeah, so everybody remembers that game. It was, you would want to go to McDonald's just to get those fucking pieces. And they would give you a Monopoly board, not a real one, but a paper one. They wouldn't give it to you, but you could find it in the newspaper. And... You would, people would put it on their refrigerator and then you could add your pieces to it because the pieces were attached to either your drink or to your thing of fries or whatever. And you would peel it off and it was a sticker and then you could stick it onto your little game board. So you could try collecting, just like in the game of Monopoly, once you were to get Park Place and Boardwalk, you could put a house on your properties. It was similar to where I think some of the prizes were just straight up like you would peel it off and it would just be a free thing of fries or something but or a um, free ice cream that you could never redeem because the goddamn <laughs> machine's always broken <laughs> but your goal was to get 
all the pieces of one color, just like it is in the game. And then you would get the, the real prizes. But nobody that I ever knew in those years ever won. Everybody always, we always thought we were going to win, but no, it was like, does anybody know of anyone who actually got the pieces? Is this, I think if I'm not mistaken, they did it in such a way to where like, you would never be able to go to the same McDonald's. Like you could go there a million times. You would never get all the right pieces that you needed. They intentionally spread them out per region so that you would, people would never really win. I think there may have been a couple of legitimate winners, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You're mistaken. <laughs> I, 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 th I thought I remembered them saying in the documentary that there were people that won, or maybe that was part of them like trying to throw people off so that not all the winners were connected to them. To restore trust, McDonald's did uh, 25 like instant winners after oh, all okay. this broke. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. To so, reestablish trust with the community. <laughs> so, but can you explain basically who the guy was and how he had access to be able to rig the pieces? So, well, I don't, let me know if I'm giving away too much, but pretty much for any of the promotional offers that are run out through these fast food chains, most of the time they will hire these consulting firms that will come up with, and it was Simon Marketing was the one for McDonald's. They did the Monopoly promotion. They did the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire promotion. They did all this stuff for McDonald's. And the Monopoly promotion for McDonald's was literally like printing money. Like they made so much money. They had such an uptick in sales after they ran the first one. Literally, they just had to look in the books and be like, oh man, uh, profits are kind of down this corner. Y'all want to run Monopoly again? And then sales would shoot right back up because everyone was just so excited about the potential of being an instant winner of a million dollars from McDonald's. So there was this one printing company called Dittler Brothers, and they were responsible for doing the printing of all the labels. So as part of the security for the marketing consulting firm that was running the promotion, their head of security would come to the printing plant to oversee to make sure there was no way that the game was being compromised. So the best part I will say about the way that McMillions is laid out is I literally, I watched the whole thing. They don't give away how he was able to get all the pieces until the very end. So I'm not going to tell you how he was able to get the pieces, but it was literally the head of security for Simon Marketing was the one Uncle Jerry was his name. He was the one that was the head of the entire scam and who was selecting the people that were going to get winning pieces. But when he would select who you were, so if I was like, hey, Chris, I'm Uncle Jerry and I have this million dollar ticket, I'll give it to you for $50,000 up front right now. And then every year you're going to pay me a certain amount of money. And since you live near me, but we have different last names. I'm going to need you to set up a P.O. box in this completely different state. I'll drive you to this McDonald's. You walk in and you redeem the ticket. It's uh, these people that run these scams. I'm jealous of their brains. You felt bad for the people who were a part of it. The ones who were the actual winners, or at least I did. 
Because there was that one woman, the black woman, who was, I think she was just a nurse. She was a social worker. Yeah. And she and was, just she like was a... friends with the other guy helping run the scheme, Jerry Colombo. There are two Jerry's in the documentary, so it does get uh, confusing. But she was friends with his wife. What was it? Karen Colombo? No. Yeah. Well, one of the best characters of the entire thing. She's just... Hilarious. I have seen my future and it is bright. <laughs> Let me tell you, her chain smoking with that weird ass red and black dress on. I was like, oh my God, that's me in two years. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> with but all yeah, of the, I, the gaudy jewelry and shit. Oh, amazing. Chain smoking those like Marlboro Light 100s in her house <laughs> with her terrible hair dye. Oh. It was that like chocolate cherry L'Oreal Feria hair oh, dye that I used that to do used all the time in high school. Time. Yeah. <laughs> and you used to make fun of me mercilessly about it. <laughs> but yeah, she's she is by far my favorite part of the entire documentary. But yeah, I forget the black woman's name. I think it's, I want to say it was like Gloria or I probably should have looked this up. She was already in dire straits financially and... She thought that this would really turn her life around. I did feel really bad for her. And I felt bad for the foster son who was pitched this whole story of, hey, your foster father, he got the million dollar ticket, but he's going through a really brutal divorce. So he doesn't want to split any of this with his ex-wife. She didn't earn it. So like you just cash it in and then we'll just go from there. Yeah, he was out of everyone. He, he was the only person who really was like a completely unwitting participant mm -hmm. in it he, he just had no idea of what was going on until after the fact i think didn't but they still ended up bringing charges against him i thought oh yeah honey they sure did <laughs> yeah but what i found really it, it was hilarious but also kind of sad because i felt bad for them as it was happening was when they would have to do oh because the fbi as part of their investigation, they pretended to be... A production crew. Yeah, a production crew working for McDonald's that wanted this footage of the winners for their for marketing purposes or whatever. So they would go to the winners and say, hey, tell us your complete story of how you won and how you redeemed the ticket and take us to where you were when you found it and we'll take a picture of you holding it up. So they they essentially were trying to gather evidence under the guise of pretending to be a production company because if they had just come in and said we're the FBI, like then the people would have just clammed up and not told them anything. So so <laughs> you would watch these people as they were trying to explain their story and there was that video of the black woman trying to explain her whole thing and it wasn't adding up. It was so clear that she was lying because it just, the story wasn't making sense. And they would put like a little map up on a whiteboard and ask them to explain, I don't know, where she went or how she spent the money or something. It was, it was painful to watch because it was obvious that she was just making all the shit up. Well, but, and they um, printed out a picture of the McDonald's because she said that she lived in North Carolina. She didn't. She lived in Florida. She set up like a P.O. box in North Carolina and stayed in someone's house in North Carolina and set up like an answering machine to make it seem like she lived there. So they were like, so which McDonald's was it? Was it the one over on whatever it was, like Drury Lane or whatever? She was like, oh my God, yeah. And they hold up a picture. She's like, oh my God, yes, that is the one. And they're like, why don't you just sign it? Go ahead and sign it. And the 
the picture that they printed out, it's of one in Florida. <laughs> She's, I never forget what it looks like. That's exactly. It's so cringe. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't know why I waited so long to watch this documentary series. And the one FBI agent, I forget what his name is. Damn. I know who you're talking about. I loved him. Yeah. He was just he, hilarious. I just want to hang out with him. And his commentary <laughs> on all the people involved, I am obsessed. I loved that documentary. And I was blown away. And also, so after I watched all of McMillions, I was like, well, I feel like I remember like in recent years, them still running the Monopoly promotion. Like when was the last time they even did it? So the last time that they did the the McDonald's Monopoly promotion was in 2016, which was a dumpster fire of a year. They were supposed to do it in March of 2020 and they suspended it because of coronavirus. Oh, that tracks. That makes sense. <laughs> so here's Doug the thing, Matthews though. is the FBI agent. Yes. Doug Matthews. Yes. He is my absolute favorite. I want to hang out with him and Mark Devereaux, that prosecutor, I am a huge fan of him as well. I would love to hang out with him. Robin Columbo is the name of my spirit animal. <laughs> Not Karen. Robin Columbo. Robin. She's incredible. Truly an icon. She looks like a Robin. So, but the thing is, and which is probably part of the reason why nobody raised any red flags or gave a shit, was because I think... You said the total amount that was stolen over the years was like 25 million or something? Yep, 25 million. I mean, that was like a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of money that McDonald's was making from oh, this God, promotion. Yeah. So it was like, for them, it was, do we really care if it's rigged? Because... <laughs> I, I just lost a million dollars on the 150 million I just made. Right, yeah. So um, I forget, do you remember exactly how they were first initially tipped off was it just like a random tip or it was so i'm not going to spoil this because i want people to watch this it was a anonymous phone call to the fbi and it was to one of the uh special agents who literally just wrote down on a post-it note mcdonald's monopoly scam and he put it on his computer monitor and special agent matthews who's my favorite he was like young gun, freshly a special agent, was looking for something to do. He had been dealing with a health insurance case that wasn't interesting to him. So he walked over to his coworker's desk and saw the post-it note and was like, that sounds way more fun than what I'm currently doing. So he just ran with it. And then everything started to come together and more and more special agents were pulled off of what they were doing to give more manpower to investigating the McDonald's conspiracy i think mcdonald's when it was first brought to their attention obviously if it gets out that the um integrity of the game is compromised it kills the entire promotion well in the beginning remember they did not know the fbi was not sure the level of involvement that mcdonald's had right. was it someone within the corporation of mcdonald's that was responsible for the scam so they were very tight-lipped they only spoke to, I think the first people that they reached out to at McDonald's were their global security and two other people within that little department. And they told them like, you cannot share this with any of your coworkers because you guys might have a bad apple in your ranks. So we need to figure that out. So don't share right, this information. Right. So they weren't sure at the beginning. And, and even I think during the investigation, I feel like it was, 
feel like it was late by the time they started like clearing more and more people from McDonald's of, oh no, okay, you guys aren't in on it. Well, there was the one woman who, uh, I forget what department in within McDonald's she worked for. Maybe she was like head of marketing or something. Their PR, she wasn't, now she's top of communications or something for McDonald's. But back then, yeah, I think she was doing like communications or PR for McDonald's. But she was the main person that would go interview and talk to all the winners. You mean with the FBI? No, prior to the FBI getting involved, that's what her gig was. That was oh, part of gotcha. her job, okay. was to interview and talk to the winners. Which is why when they were reaching out to McDonald's to figure out, like, if we're going to figure out if this is legit or not, who's the best person, who knows the most about going to see the winners and the process. So that's when they tapped her, and then she started going with them for the quote-unquote reunion of winners. Because I think at that point they had 17 winners or something, so they said that they were going to go back and interview all of them and have this huge celebration in Las Vegas. So they tapped her to accompany them so they could look like a legit production company because they were all going to remember her. And I remember she was nervous because she didn't know if she'd be able to. This is essentially an undercover operation. And Mm -hmm. she was so nervous because she's like, oh my gosh, I have to keep my cover and not let them know that this is actually an investigation. And so she was freaking out when they had to do their first one. And Doug, what was his name? Doug Matthews. He was like, look, you're essentially doing exactly what you were doing before. You're going to, yeah, you're just, you're talking to the winners, which is what you were already doing before. It's just now we're here with you and we're recording this and recording evidence. But yeah, I mean, that whole thing was just insane. The, The, just the the level of intricacy of the scam, of the steps they had to take, and the number of people who were involved. Wasn't Um, there something at the end of it, there was something they wanted to know that the son was like being coy about whether he did it or not? Remember? About where the anonymous tip came from. Okay, so I'm not gonna get into that so we don't spoil it. (laughs) But yes. I was gonna (laughs) just edit this part out, I can tell you, and you just edit this part out. Hello, all you lovely people. So uh, Chris and I had so much to talk about and enough wine that this episode is going to be a two-parter. If you liked part one, head over to your podcast feed and download part two now.